Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We're continuing our discussions on the Gospel of Thomas, this time with verse 22. Uh, we were discussing this on our podcast earlier. Uh, as here. typical, I'm being joined by Bishop Peterson, uh, as well as Father Tony. We also have a special guest on our podcast tonight, one of Bishop Peterson's very best friends in the whole world. Would you like to introduce Reverend Shauna? I would. I would like to introduce my dear friend, the Reverend Shauna Atterbury. Uh, Reverend Atterbury has been um, a clergywoman for quite some time. She has uh, pastored both small and, and large churches. She also has a master's degree. It's in biblical exegesis, was it? Uh, theological studies. Theological studies. Okay, sorry. But I know you did a lot of exegesis work. And yes. uh, she's also uh, an author of a book. And Can you tell us about your book? It is called What You Didn't Learn in Sunday School, Women Who Didn't Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, and it tells all the stories that people don't like to hear who believe that women are supposed to be meek and submissive wives and mothers. It tells about Deborah and business women, women who went to war, women who who parlayed with generals to save their cities. So it tells about women in the Bible. Uh, no, jail's not in this one. Oh, so. darn it. She's one of my darn favorites. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it also tells the stories of one of my favorite women, the Canaanite woman who stood up to Jesus and told him no. And he, and she, she, I, t I call her the woman who wouldn't take no for an answer, even from Jesus. So, <laughs> and you don't hear a whole lot about her because Jesus looks so bad in the story. So we avoid her story. You know, you're, I think you got a point about that. So, any case, we, uh, we're happy to have you on the show, and we've been talking about um, the Gospel of Thomas and uh, verse 22, which is, we've noticed, is a real tongue twister. So, I'm going to try <laughs> reading it for people who have not actually, who have not viewed the, um, the video. I'm, gonna, I'm going to read it uh, out for people, and this is, I'm actually going to use this time the, the Blatt's translation. A little less tongue twisting? Well, I'm hoping it is. I really love Bentley Layton, but my goodness, that was ridiculous. Let's try this one. Okay, All right. let's go for um, the blats. Jesus saw some infants who were being suckled. He said to his disciples, These infants being suckled are like those who enter the kingdom. They said to him, If we then become like children, shall we enter the kingdom? He said to them, When you make two one, and when you make the inside as the outside, and the outside as the inside, and the upper as the lower, and when you make the male and the female into a single one, so that the male is not male and the female is not female, and when you make eyes in the place of an eye, and a hand in place of a hand, and a foot in place of a foot, an image in place of an image, then you shall enter the kingdom. And we noted, you know, in, in the uh, previous video that starts out, you know, with, with something that we hear in the canonical Gospels. Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, talks about you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom. But then it all gets twisty. It definitely does. And I, I'm just offered, in my mind, when I was reading this, I had this image of everything just kind of folding back onto itself. Um, dualities just are, are falling, you know, collapsing on themselves. So, uh, Reverend Atterbury, do you have any thoughts on this verse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I looked at it this afternoon and thought, oh my, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did the same thing. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what do you do with it? What, especially as dualistic as our society is, it's even hard to think about the collapse that Jesus is talking about. Yeah, it is. And we like our binary structures, you know, like especially like the male and female. I thought, oh my goodness, this would get you in a lot of trouble today in certain circles. But of course, you know, in Galatians we read, uh, that in Christ, that that in, in Christ there is neither male nor female. And as I, you know, yeah. And as I was pointing out to, to um, Bishop Canterbury, um, you know, Clement actually said some stuff along these lines. Um, you know, um, Clement, Second uh, Clement, twelve. Uh, two through six, for the Lord himself being asked by a certain person when his kingdom would come said, when the two shall be one and the outside is the inside and the male with the female, neither male nor female. 
Now the two are one. When we speak truth about among ourselves and in two bodies, there should be one soul without dissimulation. Um, you know, and, and he kind of goes on and on about male and female, male and female. You know, um, so it's it, it's interesting that that was a distinction that they chose to work with. Mm-hmm. I think there's a subtle difference uh, where they say making the male and female into a single one or making the male and female the same, right? Uh, I, I think that that's I, – I, you can point to Galatians and say, yeah, okay, so the, the distinctions of maleness and femaleness aren't as important as you know the spiritual truths, right? You can make a, a pretty run-of-the-mill standard Christianity claim that that's all well and good. The part that's that's different is making the male and female into a single one. And I think that points to something that is pretty thoroughly Gnostic in the sense of the, um, especially the, the, the creation stories as, as typified by uh, the Apocryphon of John, right? Where the, you have all of these pairs in, and, and Bishop Canterbury mentioned the syzygies in the video show, you have all of these pairs of aeons mm-hmm. that are male and female, but they're not really, it, it, they are in a certain sense two separate beings, but they're also in a certain sense one syzygy, right? One being that exists in two forms or, you know, as a male-female um, duality uh, in, in a single entity. So... I think that that's this is something. There's something about that here. I don't know if it's necessarily saying you know um, do this and you will become an aeon because I think aeons are specifically different in the in this in the the mythological construct of the early Gnostics. But I think that it's pointing to something that is a little harder to look at in a strictly um, small o Orthodox Christian. Worldview. Mm-hmm. Just for that reason alone, the the, the making them the same. And yeah, I can see a lot of you know really hardcore right wing evangelical Christian groups saying, "Well, what do you mean that they're you know making the two into one? God created the two genders, and there's no difference. There's no uh, there's no blending of that." And of course, <laughs> that's that's a big hot button issue right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bishop Atterbury uh, deals with that a lot. She has the stomach for it. <laughs> well, somebody has yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> what is your experience, you know, just to go off in the left field right away, what is your experience with the, the kind of um, far-right evangelicals in, in terms of some of these um, – Gender issues or feminist issues? How do you how do you navigate those waters? Well, actually, I've I've pulled out a lot in the last few years. I don't. I got so tired of arguing in circles, and we never get anywhere. And so I've I've pulled out of a lot of that because you just you you can't get anywhere with people who think that God created men and women to have two distinctive roles and they can't ever leave them. So, um, and actually the creation story in Genesis two does allow for the original human to be androgen. Mm-hmm. So, cause male and female did not come about until after the woman was made. Mm-hmm. So even in our, one of our own create, and there are more, and here again, getting into, there are more than one creation stories in the Bible. In one of the creation stories, you, you know, and I kept, that's what I kept playing with was going back to, if you go, if you consider the first human being to be androgen, then divided into male and female. So there could be companionship and, and, and procreation and all of that. Mm -hmm. Then this is going back to that original. There will be no longer male and female, male and female into a single one. So. Mm Yeah, that's a that's an interesting old idea that uh, you know the the concept of that the original human was androgynous that had uh, the, the the example that I can think of off the top of my head because I like it is um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. You know, the, the, <laughs> if if you haven't seen that movie, go and find it uh, because it's a it's a, tr- a tremendous Gnostic story. Um, the uh, Hedwig, the 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 
the star of the story uh, sings a song at a certain point um, where it kind of goes into this, this exact concept where the original human beings uh, were all androgynous and they all had uh, – well, actually, that's not strictly true. So they were all two people. I'm really talking about soulmates, right? So there were two people all attached together and that the gods were jealous and they divided them. Um, so you had like one person facing one way and the other person facing the other way, like the stuck back to back together. And mm-hmm. that in order to find your soulmate, you had to find the person that you were originally separated from and reunite them, literally make the two into one. And I think that, I think that comes directly out of this. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely, I mean, you can, you can find the movie on various streaming services. You might have to, to buy it, but, um, I I absolutely recommend it. And Monsignor Rosbach, who runs the um, the the Portland uh, parish of the Joanite Church, he every year he has a little Hedwig and the Angry Inch viewing party. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I can see that. I oh can yeah, still see uh, that. so good, so good. I saw I saw the show on Broadway with um, Neil Patrick Harris playing Hedwig. It was uh, stupendous. So <laughs> I, I would think so. Although Neil Patrick Harris is Hedwig, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. All right. Well, maybe uh, Bishop Atterbury and I'll have a movie night. Oh, you you totally should. A, a roast beast and, and movie night. <laughs> I'm jealous. Do that. <laughs> you guys could always fly down to Florida and uh, do it down here. There you go. It'll be, That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> bring the movie. She can bring the beast. Um, you can't and get beast Father Tony can bring the wine. <laughs> no, but I think that. Um, you know, I, I think that that you bring up an interesting uh, point there, Father, because um, with, with with evangelicals and fundamentalists, the um, as Reverend Atterbury knows, it's become a point of doctrine. The issue of male and female mm-hmm. has become a point of doctrine with a lot of fundamentalists. That if you do not agree with this very rigid idea about male and female roles, you are deemed a heretic. This happened um, recently. It was, it was kind of funny on, on Twitter. There's an evangelical blogger named Rachel Held Evans, who is a laywoman. She does not have a you know, theological training, but she's just a popular blogger and author. Really lovely woman. Um, and the guy who heads up, Owen Strachan or something like that, uh, who is the head of the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is exactly, yeah. Council of Biblical... <laughs> Manhood and womanhood. And it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> it's worse than it sounds. Um, and he basically got on there and just, you know, basically called her a heretic that was potentially sending, I forget these exact words, but it was, they were very damning. And his, his issue was is that she is a gender egalitarian. And so it's, it's actually, this is, this has gone well beyond a debate. Um, about roles. This is no longer compartmentalized. This is an issue that ha- that in some churches has been elevated to a matter of uh, of you know apostles' creed level doctrine. I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think we have a lot of hardcore right wing evangelicals watching our show. But uh, <laughs> if there are any, please tell us in the comments exactly why does it even matter uh, yeah. what another human being <laughs> chooses to, you know, or feels uh, drawn to uh, for their own self. How does that bother you, any? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's become it's become an issue, and it's um, I don't know if you're familiar about the recent Mark Driscoll penis homes controversy. You know, oh, you follow that part. much closer than I do. Yeah, I don't um, have any. I don't have any booze close. Do I need to go get some? <laughs> <laughs> but it never hurts. Um, this this guy Mark Driscoll, who we talked about when you were on the program, Reverend Atterbury, and who we sometimes talk about even when you're not on the program. Um, <laughs> And we roll our eyes like and think a lot of Like he needs any more press. <laughs> well, you know, the thing of it is his church just basically collapsed because there was all kinds of financial impropriety and that sort of things. But um, part of what was going on in, in, in the secular press is that somebody had got a hold of a whole bunch of posts that he had made, some really vicious things about women, just incredibly sexist stuff. But he had written something where he said, men, you all have a penis and your penis has a home. 
and the home were the wives of these men. And if you don't have a wife, well, then you've got to go find a penis home and know you can't masturbate. And it turned him into the laughing stock of the sacred <laughs> media. Um, but it, but it, it kind of, well, shall we say, rammed home the notion of, <laughs> of, uh, of just how serious this is for ladies. They're sex obsessed. A lot of them are. And... Um, God, that sounds like it's so much fun, though. Well, there's. The, the, <laughs> if you read this up, for example, women are constantly being told to give their husband sex under all, you know, every, you know, no matter what the circumstances is, the circumstances are. These evangelical Protestants. That's one point that they frequently make is that women are obligated to do this. Men are sexual creatures, therefore women have to dress modestly. Um, so this, this, it's there's become an obsession with male and female it's a, 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 at some level in the church and it's uh and when you see the response to trans trans issues right now or gay and lesbian issues um the, the you know people just shrieking to high heaven over these issues they become fixated yeah so i, I mean and that, people getting killed over these issues too it's, it's yeah you know we, yeah. we like to think of ourselves as this enlightened society but you know this is there's there are recent incidents where trans people have been killed just yep. for the sake of being trans. Yes, and look what's what's gone on in Uganda mm-hmm. uh, with the with the you know with, with the laws and that they've I've heard that they've been relaxed a little bit, but very strict laws about homosexuality in Russia. Mm-hmm. And some of these uh, countries have got support from evangelical churches in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Conservative American evangelical spearheaded the the Uganda law. Yeah. So they supported the politicians and gave them money to get that through. So. Talk about something that doesn't affect you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who cares about the homosexuals in Uganda? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's 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 something else. So I, I actually, you know, now that now that we're talking about this, this passage, and certainly the stuff that Clement wrote as well. Um, it's 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 kind of bringing home to me the the huge difference from what, difference between two very different types of religion. Mm-hmm. We have one religion yeah. that's absolutely obsessed with dualism, mm-hmm. and or this type of dualism, and another and then you one that have the Gnostics who get accused of all the same kinds of hardcore dualism. <laughs> yes, but it's not the Gnostics. The Gnostics aren't the ones running around, um, you know. Calling women penis homes and and insisting, you know, elevating separation of men and women to the point of being a doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> we had some fun with that. Sorry. Uh, no, I know. It, I think it needs to be said. Unfortunately. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we said it. Um, so I, I want to jump back to the Apocryphon of John for a minute and the, the creation story in the Apocryphon of John. So it, one thing that that, um, that I think relates to this passage specifically is you have the uh, creation of two bodies in the creation story of the Apocryphon of John. You have the creation of the soul body, which, you know, which is what I call it. They don't call it that there. And then you have the creation of the physical body. But So the first creation by the Archons is that of a soul. But they talk about the soul in terms of... Um, sinew and bone and flesh and skin and hair and all that so the soul is being created in that resembles the the physical body um and then you have the creation of the physical body itself happening after that uh and so i often think when i read this passage and and obviously this is one of my favorites out of out of the gospel of thomas because it's so interesting and weird um that i think what they're talking about is these two these two bodies. So when you when you make a hand in place of a hand and the foot in place of a foot, you are prioritizing, in my opinion, your soul body over your physical body. At the end of the day, that's still not enough. You still have to go one step further back and get to the spirit. But in the in the prog- in the spiritual progress sense, um, making a hand in place of a hand and the foot in place of a foot is this kind of not a lack of identification with the physical body exactly, but a deprioritization of the physical body over the soul body and then the spirit over the soul. 
in a kind of higher hierarchical sense. The Sethians were big on the hierarchies, mm-hmm. and the the and so the whole the whole upside downness of creation that happened after the fall of Sophia is typified by the kind of animal instincts overtaking the more intellectual ideas, which over then in turn completely drown out spirituality. Um, so in the sense of looking to write that order, you know, to put it back upright instead of upside down the way it is, you have mm-hmm. to use your, your intellectual faculties to master your body as step one. And mm-hmm. that opens the way to the uh, spirit kind of running the show in the way that it should. Uh, now, um, I know we've mentioned on the show, uh, kind of in passing previously, the, the, um, the fourth way concept of the, you know, that human beings don't have a soul by mm-hmm. default, that they develop a soul. Now, mm-hmm. as our resident Gurdjieffian, <laughs> Bishop <laughs> Peterson, could you, uh, could you give us a little more detail on that? Yeah, I mean, that was something that Mr. Gurdjieff talked about, that people are not born with a soul. Um, I seem to recall seeing something that he might have suggested that there was some maybe some kind of rudimentary soul, possibly. But the idea was that you really don't have one. When you die, you die. And the idea is, is that you can develop or build your soul over time. And with that, you can also build additional bodies. Uh, that can have, you know, astral body, bodies that have longer duration that can, you know, that can, that can live that way. Um, I will say personally, I do not agree that the body, that we were born without souls. Um, but I can absolutely see and understand the idea that the soul can be very immature and that the soul is something that needs to be built and developed just as we build and develop our bodies and our minds. Um, I think the soul was often neglected, and for and uh, for me, uh, given that Mr. Gurdjieff was raised in the in the Orthodox faith, where there's a huge huge emphasis on the care of the soul, um, it makes a certain his doctrine makes a certain amount of sense to me. Um, again, I don't agree that we are born without souls, but I, I think that we can have a soul that is so immature as to be relatively useless and that's why there's a necessity to build and develop that soul um, Mr. Gurdjieff would have said that, that you know, in, in the fourth way work that work is done in life it's not the work of the monastic who is praying constantly or living in obedience to an abbot but it is somebody who is who is observing themselves who is struggling to wake up who is um, enter, enters in what's you know into voluntary suffering, uh, bearing the unpleasant manifestations of your neighbor, those sorts of everyday sorts of things that a person can consciously do. That is how the soul is developed in the fourth way, um, which is again different from other systems, but that's the fourth way idea. Yeah, do you think that that lines up in any way with this? particular Logian where it says you, in order to enter the kingdom you have to become like the, like a little child and you talked a lot about it in the, in the video portion where you talked about this kind of return to innocence um, but that seems to stand in contrast with that particular teaching unless you're looking at two different things and apples and oranges well I will say this um, if you enter into the Gurdjieff work you are you know, one of the things that you're told to do when you enter the in the, in the Gurdjieff work is to pay attention and 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 do as you're told. Um, the Gurdjieff work, in and of itself, can be an infantilizing process. It's um, we don't have a lot of grades or anything like that, but there is a very strong sense that these are the guides, the people who are there before you. They are the guides, and you do as you're told. So I. I so for me, um, as I said before, an infant is, a re- is receptive. When you have it, it receives nourishment, it receives care. It cannot care for itself. Um, so in the fourth way, when you enter in, you're, you know, you're in a group, you're under the leaders, you do as you're told. And you have to be willing, for example, to admit that you've been lying to yourself for a long time. There's a, an article written by Madame de Salzman called The First Initiation. 
and it's all about acknowledging that everything about you is a lie. Your preference is what you think you like, what you think you dislike, everything about you is a lie, and it's learning to separate yourself from those lies. So actually, this, this passage makes a great deal of sense to me mm. from that perspective. It, it's that, that willingness to, re, you have to have humility to enter into that work. The other thing that I would point out, um, going on with that second Clement passage, um, he said, you know, and by the out, and by the outside as the inside, he meaneth this. By the inside, he meaneth the soul, and by the outside, the body. Therefore, in like manner as the body appeareth, so also let thy soul be manifest by its good works. Yeah, I don't know Clement all that well. Does he have kind of the threefold division of the per the, the human person, or does he talk about kind of soul and body as as it? You know, I I did not do a lot yeah, of reading on Clement either myself. Um, but he's you know he's he he's you know almost saying let the soul be man let your good soul be manifest by good works. Mm -hmm. um, so let let the soul you know make use I guess make use of the body. Yeah, one of the things that we've also talked about is that this in this development of the soul, or rather, as as part of the course of your normal life you develop these patterns, these automatic response patterns, and this mm -hmm. I think comes from Gurdjieff as well, that, you know, most of what we do and how and I and I think modern um psychology would would back me up on this, that most of what we do is kind of learned pattern behavior. Mm -hmm. So very little of, of how we interact with the world on a on a day to day basis is thought out. What's how am I trying to what am I trying to say here? <laughs> that you know, we don't we don't put a lot of rational thought into every in every single decision that we make during the course of a day because yeah. if we were to do that, that would be, you know, v you know, very complicated. And so, as part mm -hmm. of the way that our brains work, we develop these patterns. You know, we we yeah. see we see a, a situation that is similar to a situation we've encountered before, and our brain kind of instantly just repeats mm -hmm. what it did before. So we don't have to think about the world you know, consciously all the time, which would be essentially crippling. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, those automatic responses that we have that have built up over time and have kind of created this, uh, you know, in, in my estimation anyway, have kind of created this, this or have built up this, this dross around our, around our spirits yeah. that prevent us from acting spiritually in the world for the most part, and that those those uh, fleeting moments of of grace, as it were, is when we can have the spirit be in charge for a little while, and to to act out of that instead of acting out of our pattern responses. And so I think yeah. that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking about when I think of uh, returning to a childlike state is to bypass all of that stuff that's developed. Mm -hmm. In our in our responses and in our souls over the years, and and to kind of get that out of the way. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I, I agree fully with you, Father Tony. I think we talked a little bit about that in the uh, in the video show. But um, you know, when I mentioned that, you know, all of our behaviors, learned behavior. You know, we're not born with prejudices. We're we're not born with hate. We're not even necessarily born with gender roles or gender identity you know uh um, yeah but i'm not know, even talking most... anything that high level i'm talking mm -hmm. about like uh, you know i i know not to just walk out into the street because uh, you know without looking because there are cars coming mm -hmm. both ways i mean that's that's a learned behavior pattern that we don't think about anymore consciously mm -hmm. um because you know we've kind of got that one on autopilot mm-hmm you know, and I'm not saying that's bad. I, I think that's very important when crossing the street that you don't have to stop and think every single time and you, you know, look up from your text message before you cross the street, right? But, uh, it, but when you're doing that, you're not thinking about things of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Gurdjieff uh, talked about um, people's conscious – there are um, – their conscience being encrusted, you know, yeah, that all yeah. the dross, you, you, you explained it perfectly, Father. It's just, you know, you get so used to being, from things being mechanized and then um, it, that it just it can be very hard to get that, that crust off a, a real conscience. 
mm-hmm. um, the sort of thing that can keep us from doing horrible things, <laughs> which some of us are prone to do. <laughs> There's a lot going around in the uh, in the esoteric and occult community right now on, on social medias and whatnot of um, <clears throat> the idea that you, the, that you have to have a teacher. And yeah. I, this comes and goes, I think, over the years that, you know, some it's like this pendulum that swings back and forth with you absolutely have to have a teacher or you can't progress spiritually to, you know, you are a rugged individual person, a beautiful and unique snowflake, and you don't need anybody to tell you what to do, right? It goes back and forth. I think we're coming back on, around the other side. I, I don't know which is better or correct or more correct or whatever, but it's just a, a pattern that I've noticed. And... uh and, it, you know, I see the value of, of both methods. You know, one, you learn from experience and, uh, of doing it yourself, and the other one, you, you learn from the experience of somebody who's gone before you. And, you know, maybe there's a middle way, but, uh, you know, so I find it interesting to see these, for, for lack of a better term, fads in, in occult practice or occult teaching. I think it's a discussion that we need to have. Yeah. Um, and as you point out, there's, there may not be, you know, I've seen – Tremendous damage done by bad teachers, but I've also seen tremendous damage done by people who do everything on their own, um, or, you know, to do, to do it themselves. So I, I, I think that this is a conversation we need to have about who's qualified to be a teacher or what we, some would call a spiritual director, or, you know, things of that nature. Shauna, what do you think? Um. Well, I, I see it as a both and. I mean, when you're just starting out in something new, you've got to have teachers. I mean, spirituality is like any other discipline. It's something you have to learn. But at the yeah. same time, you just can't blindly follow people. I mean, look at all of the the abuse we hear about in churches. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. the preacher the preacher is appointed by God and anointed by God, and you don't question him. And I mean, Driscoll's a perfect example. Example: Where was the accountability? Where was <laughs> he held accountable for all of the souls in his hands? Yeah. And he wasn't. And so, but at the same time, you know, I mean, even now, I mean, I, I want a good priest. I want a good spiritual director. I, I want people further down the road that I can talk to. But what I listen with discernment and saying, is this really what God wants me to do? And so. You know, it's it's a learned discipline of, yeah, you have to have teachers so you can learn this way of life, but you also have to grow on your own and be able to discern discern the spirit. How, how do you do that? Or what advice would you give to somebody who's looking for a spiritual teacher, a spiritual director? Um, well, I ask other friends. When I started looking for a spiritual director after I moved from Chicago, I asked my priest, and he gave me a couple of names. And I, um, I, and after talking with both women, the one, the one I went with was the one I clicked with. So I, I say start with people you know and see what their experience has been, and ask them who they went to for direction. Yeah, I think that I think personal references are are always are always important, and there's, but there's also I think they also the um, as you, we talked about discernment is being open. If if you have if you have those conditioned responses, you might go and pursue a teacher or a director who feeds into those conditioned responses. So if you grew up being abused or in abusive relationships, you might go out and find a director that's abusive. Um, And um, you you find a director that's gentle and kind and treats you with respect, and you feel, well, they're not doing me any good, so you go for the abusive director. Um, Conversely, if a person constantly wants to be coddled, and doesn't want any kind of intrusion, they may go for the meek and mild director, and that you know there's an issue there as well. So I, I think um, there is an issue of what level of discomfort is healthy <laughs> in in our spiritual work, whether it's with a director or on our own. But um, I yeah, that's something to consider as well. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's hard to know, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Part of what, yeah, mm-hmm. part of what I've I've learned. It was a weird I- event that I had with this. I was doing some exercise, and 
I began to feel a little bit of pain. And I said, you know, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I, should I really stop here or should I just try and go with this? Should I just keep on trying to go and see what happens? And the curious thing is I was able to do a lot more exercise than I realized that I could. I was just, I would so conditioned to responding negatively to any kind of pain um, that I just stopped. Now, eventually at one point I actually did end up injuring myself, not, not badly, but just enough to let me know that I had overdone it. But... Um, the curious thing is I've, I've been trying to apply that little lesson to my spiritual life, um, which is, you know, okay, do something that makes me uncomfortable, makes me uncomfortable, and try to stretch that a little bit each time. No, I'm going to run screaming from somebody who is clearly a whack doodle, but just because somebody is a different But you're still here. Me. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah, I think that's the hard thing is we're so conditioned in our society that if it's painful or it makes us feel bad that we should run away from it. And I hated the whole positivity thing of a few years ago. All positive thoughts. If you think negative things, you'll jinx yourself and all this other crap. And I'm Irish, so I'm fairly superstitious to begin with. <laughs> but, you know, the, the negative is part of life and pain is part of life and these things help us grow. And, but there again, yeah, you, you have to know the difference between the pain that makes you stronger and the pain that, that puts you in a cast. And part of that's just going to be experiment, you know, I think wise experimentation um, and trying things out and, 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 and coming back. But um, it can be hard when it comes to deciding to work with a teacher or with a group. It's, 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 it's a difficult, it's, it's a challenge. And it's also a challenge if you get a teacher who's basically a de very decent human being, but just doesn't understand, who doesn't understand how to work with you. Mm, yeah. And that can happen. You know, you can have a, uh, a school teacher who's a very good school teacher, but does not know how to work with a child who has dyslexia. Or, you know, whatever the case may, you know, some kind of a disability there. So I think the same could probably apply to spiritual teachers. You know, they just don't get how to work with somebody. And, but again, that, that's something that both sides need to be paying attention to. What do you think, Father Tony? Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add to that. I think, uh, uh, I, th I think I've said everything that I, I could think <laughs> of on that topic, so. Okay. No, it was an interesting one. So we were, uh, were you in on Tal Lazarus's web webcast that he uh, had recently? Oh yeah, I um, I started it and then I got distracted and I didn't finish it, but I I watched parts of it. It was quite good. He talked a lot about the importance of spiritual teachers. It was yeah, quite good. Yeah, I think that's why I've been thinking about it. Yeah, actually, I've been thinking about it too. So yeah, it's 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 a topic that's a, that's of interest. Um, it makes me wonder if. Um, you know, there are seminaries now that have programs in spiritual direction, but it makes me wonder if the esoteric community will ever be able to get itself together enough to come up with some kind of a teaching education program for spiritual teachers. <laughs> One can hope, but I can, well, you can laugh too. So, I, Well, the, the only thing I, I'm, I'm picturing is just a whole bunch of people fighting with each other all the time, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kind of like that, uh, the, the, you know, the Council of Nicaea when Santa Claus punched Arius in the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I just found out about that story this year. I'm so <laughs> mad at all of the religious education I've had, and I never heard about Santa Claus punching, punching Arian. And I'm just thinking, all this, all these thousands of dollars, and they couldn't teach me that? <laughs> no, you know, I've heard some story about Athanasius punching out Arius, but now I find out that it was Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, I've always heard of this. I put a whole new spin on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, watch out if you've been naughty. Santa Claus is yeah. going to come down the chimney and sock you. <laughs> He's got nothing on the Krampus. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I got a question here. At the end of this passage, um, you know, we've got... Um, We've got hands and foots and eyes and men and women, and then we have an image in a place of an image. Yeah. Uh, so here's an interesting bit of language that I've been thinking about for a very long time in terms of Gnosticism. There's, there's likeness and image, and, and, there, okay. the, and those two words show up 
all over the place, right? But they and they're very specific terms of art in in you know, well, in Christianity in general, and in in religion in at this time, it, the words in in Greek being very important. Um, I, I don't know what what um, I don't remember what likeness is in Greek, but image is is icon or well, it translates to icon, you know, a lot of times, and um, and and, they're, and them being very specific. So when man is created in the likeness and image of the divine, right, in the, in the kind of traditional Christianity version of it, um, that has a very specific connotation, but whereas the Demiurge is created only, I think, in the image of the, uh, the, um, uh, the first human being that he sees, the first human rather that he sees in the, in the reflection in the waters. So I, I don't know what the answer is, unfortunately, but I, but this has been a very interesting kind of avenue of research for me that this, mm-hmm. the importance of the words likeness and image in, in the various uh, stories. You might also want to look into what St. Paul um, at one point talks about how um, man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Not that I want to go down a really sexist uh, uh, line of thinking that way, but there, 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 there could be some interesting stuff with that language, yeah. with doxa and an image there that might be of some interest to that you. Even, so. That even goes back to, I think it's Genesis 4, where... Um, it says that Adam is made in the image of God, and then God made Eve in the image of man. So, yeah, so yeah. no, that would be interesting. But there was also um, a bit about people being made in the image and likeness of Seth as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Actually, that'd be a great, that would be an interesting word study. Yeah, that would be, because I know there, there, there's the image and likeness of Seth. Um, but, you know, initially, you know, God is man or you know, man in, is male and female is created in the image of God. Um, and then you have the second creation story where things start getting weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm going to look that up. But, yeah, it, I mean, yeah, so I was kind of wondering as I was reading through this today. If all of these making the inside, the outside, the outside, the inside, if if this is us going deeper into our spiritual life to find out who we really are, you know, like you were, you were talking about the dross earlier, Lainey, of getting mm-hmm. getting rid of all the dross and finding out, okay, what's really outside, what's really inside, what's really low, what's really high, mm-hmm. what part what parts are real are really male and female, and that all of this is is also happening within us. Am I on the right yeah. track there? Yeah, I think so. I think I think what they're yeah, talking absolutely. about is, is a, a well, a gnosis, really, in in the in the way we the, we use that word. Uh, you know, the, the kind of understanding the true reality of of things, of yourself, of the world, and uh, and applying that knowledge towards uh, you know a reintegration or a uh, you know an ascent or whatever spiritual technology that you want to use and talk about. But yeah, I think so. I think that this discovery or rediscovery even of, you know, what, what birth truly is and what rebirth truly is and all that stuff that they say in the excerpt from Theodotus. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's definitely one of the important spiritual teachings that is being referred to with this passage. Because I've realized that the older I get, the more I realize a lot of what I used to believe is just sheer bullshit <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and it just needs to be dropped away mm-hmm. and i also find the older i get the fewer things go on my well this is how i have to live list yeah and so i'm i, I look at this verse and i'm thinking yeah this is getting rid of all the crap you don't need and finding out what is real what is true what is right and letting go of the rest yeah a kind of alchemical solve at coagula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think you know. I was just reading a book. Um, I think it was called uh, "What uh, What Jung Really Said," or something along those lines. But it was about Jung, and he talked about the midlife crisis and how that is really a part where people are are dissatisfied and and they come into they can they're at prime to go more into themselves to, to, to plumb these depths 
and to strip away, and they can be, we can be very open at this point of life to stripping away that dross. Well, I don't know if this is a universal human experience, but I, from my own perspective, I mean, I'm turning 36 in a couple of days. I'm not exactly mid You're a young Well, you know. You're a young <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's why I did that. So you would all tell me how young I was. Uh, no, seriously though. Um, you know, I used to be pretty shy as a kid. Um, and, and, and the older I get and the more life experience I have, you know, I've come to realize that most of the things that I was afraid of when I was younger and shy all the time, just either never, you know, never happened or never will happen. Or if they did happen, weren't so bad, you know? So, you know, that I've seen that in a couple of um, kind of self-help type books where they say, you know, look at uh, picture, if you're afraid to do something, imagine all of the very worst things that could possibly happen. And most of the time you'll find that the very worst things that could possibly happen really aren't that bad. And, you know, you're, you're mostly afraid of nothing. And I, and I find the older I get, the more of those realizations I have. That oh well that was a stupid thing to worry about and yeah. you know and I don't have yeah. you know I should I should have just done X Y and Z in the first place instead of vacillating about it for months or years or whatever so that yeah I get it and so there are advantages to to growing older and gaining wisdom it can happen and there are some people for whom that does not happen you know read internet comments believe me. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you know, for that that process doesn't happen, and we 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 see it as well. So it it can be you know for some people yes, I, I find that it usually involves some it, it, it involves some effort on the part of the person who does it. Um, that's my experience. Sometimes it sometimes it's thrust upon you. Something tragic happens. You get ill. A, a child dies. Something like that. But in other cases, you have people who you know sit up one day and say, "Hey, there's more to it than this." That's been my experience. Um, by the way, just going back to what Reverend Atterbury had to say, um, I found this in Genesis 5, and this is the New Revised Standard Version. Um, this is a list of the descendants of Adam. When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he, he created them and blessed them and called them humankind when they were created. So it basically says humankind was made in the, in the image of God. Um, and then we get on to when Adam had lived 130 years, he became father of a son and son in his likeness according to his image and named him Seth. So we have Seth in Adam's image and likeness, which I think is interesting. Yeah, so if anybody's stuck on a, a presentation to make, maybe at like the Joe and I conclave that's coming up that I'm going to go to and they want to make a presentation i'd love to see something about this these words this image and likeness and how they're used and why they're important so you know just putting that out there to the universe where is conclave going to be by the way uh uh pennsylvania to narrow it down very specifically okay (laughs) (laughs) um i want to say outside of pittsburgh but that could be i could be lying so i don't know okay all right. Well, we'll keep everybody apprised of that on the shows, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, in any case, so there's there there you've got some interesting stuff there, and I, as I said, I do think it's interesting that we've got this Seth, who has been created in the image and likeness. Um, you know, just something to think about, and the fact that there was a whole school named after him. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We were talking a bit before uh, the show started that there's a new book out by um, uh, Dylan Burns uh, called – wait, I've got it here open in a tab – Apocalypse of the Alien God, which is a story about the Sethians – or not a story, a a scholarly work about the Sethians and their – you know where they come from through uh, esoteric Judaism, the the kind of the blending of esoteric Judaism and Christianity, as seen through the lens of Platonism. So, I'm I'm really looking forward to wow. reading it. And uh, you know, it's one of these scholarly books though that's like sixty five bucks. So I'm hoping some nice person gets it for me for Christmas. But uh, <laughs> well, you'll you'll be hearing this after Christmas because we're pre taping a little inside baseball here. <laughs> it may be New Year's Day where you are. But it's December twentieth where we are, so. And uh, yeah, so 
Father Tony, do you have a wish list? <laughs> yeah, I do actually have an Amazon wish list. With a, I, well, but people want it. <laughs> it's about <laughs> it's about fifty percent Gnostic books and fifty percent AV equipment. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Uh, I, I can understand that. Talk Gnosis uh, does appreciate everybody's support <laughs> and our, our our great need for equipment. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it would be fine if we were to wrap it up at this point, unless anybody has anything really uh, pressing that they want to mention that they forgot about this uh, about this passage. Final thoughts? Um, I want to look more into the Clement stuff because it sounds almost like Clement was working with possibly the same sayings here. So I'm going to mm-hmm. be poking around with that. Yeah. A bit. Nothing exists in a vacuum, right? Nope, it does not. So that that got me very interested. All right, very good. So, uh, anyway, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, Happy New Year. Whenever you're you're watching this, and we hope that the new year will bring you lots of uh, spiritual growth and um, and good stuff and all that. Uh, if you have not yet uh, become a patron, please go and support the brand new kind of Gnostic Wisdom Network uh, by going over to patreon.com slash Gnostic. That's, again, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Gnostic. And the support of our patrons makes this show possible, makes the Talk Gnosis video show possible, uh, and all the other stuff that we do on our network, and even more to come in this next year. We've got a, a lot of interesting plans, uh, and, uh, and we can't do them without your support. Uh, and we'd really like to create more stuff for you guys so please do consider supporting us over there and uh for everybody who is listening along at home uh we will see you next week or next year or whenever you're listening to this (laughs) yes (laughs) all right have a good night everybody take care everybody good night everyone this has been a production of the gnostic wisdom network for more information about this and all of gwn's programming please visit gnosticwisdom.net The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License, and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.